Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 29. This week's show, which is coming to you live from Ireland, is sponsored by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts, MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam, and Bushel, a cloud-based mobile device management solution for the Mac, iPhone, and the iPad. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always... By the king of the Emerald Isle, Mr. Jason Snow. <laughs> uh, hi, Mike. We are here. This is a podcast that we do. It is indeed. And uh, it, it's week two of Jason and Mike do a on podcast the on the road. <laughs> well, you're on the road now. Um, yep. And I, I've been I've been on the road a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're in Killarney Island, Ireland now. Yep. How about that? I don't know what my family looks like anymore. No. Yeah, no, we are, we are uh, safely ensconced in a, in a beautiful hotel for the All Conference. Me and you are here this week. Um, you're doing some exciting things. And All is a, is a, is a great little conference. And uh, it's something that people should check out yeah. if they haven't already. And also keep your eye. There's, there's some interesting stuff happening this week that people may be able to view no matter where you're on yeah so that's that's fun but yeah so we are both now here we took a took a lovely train yesterday which brought us down to Kalani from, from dublin. dublin right that would the, they chartered a, an ool train it actually said on the board ool yep. private charter and it was the if that train had wrecked half of the podcasts in the <laughs> apple sphere would have been it would have been over because <laughs> that was i was you know sitting with marco and tiffany arment and you were just down the the, the the aisle a bit and it was all just Apple people. Mm-hmm. When Rene, Rene and Serenity yep. and Georgia from Imore were all there. I got to meet Georgia's husband, who is exactly as awesome as I would have expected yep. him to be. Nice guy. Yeah, it was a great great uh, great trip down on the train. And although we were all sort of zombies because <laughs> we were all tired and yep. traveling from far off places, but yeah, some people were just like they had arrived in Ireland. And just went straight. Went to, to the, the train, train station. Like at least me and you had we'd stayed over, I guess, yeah. which made it a lot easier. But yeah, so it was um, it, it was good, and I I think that uh, not to not to do too much of our like uh, a travelogue and make people feel bad for not traveling, but I think one of the themes that I've experienced the last week and a half is meeting people in person. I think. Uh, at this conference, uh, we did our meetup which last went, week, which went fantastically. Thank you to everyone that came. Yes, I can't believe that was only a week ago, though. I know, a week ago today. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's hard to believe. We we recorded last week's episode, and then we went to the Big Chill House in London, and um, we you know you do something like that, and you you hope that it's not. It, it, that we don't outnumber the, the the people who come to see us, right? <laughs> it's like us and our friends, and then like two people who yeah. are podcast listeners. And somebody told me, and I can't verify this, but somebody told me that at some point they counted sixty five people in, the, in that room. That's how many I guess I would have estimated because we, I picked I picked a specific venue because I felt that uh, it would fit people in because I'd been there before and I knew that it had some like rooms to it. So if we started to get a bit of an unruly group going on, which we did, uh, we were able to go away and, and not bother the rest of the patrons. Yeah, we, we were the, blocking the, the entire bar, yep. and then we went upstairs, and, and, and essentially it was just us up yep. there. And, uh, and there were a lot of us. So yeah. that was amazing, and it was, great. it was just great to meet those people. And it, it, you know, it, it says something about um, the value of meeting people face-to-face. It says something about the community that I think that something like podcasting can generate. One of my uh, one of my good friends is Simon Jerry, who is the publisher at IDG UK, and I stayed with him and his family 
when I was in London. And he and uh, Karen, who's the editor of Macworld UK, came to the meetup. And they were, I think, quite surprised by the by the numbers um, because they're not uh, podcast people. No. And they, they uh, so it, it was good to see it through their eyes too and see just how amazing it is um, and how much people love listening to podcasts. And, you know, we have, we have that same thing when we meet people who, who do podcasts that we love. It's just, it's cool. It's cool to see them in person and, and get the enthusiasm and, and feel from, you know, from other people like how much they enjoy listening to what we do. Um, but, you know, also it was like a meeting of the tribe. I felt like it's like these are, these are our people. Yeah. It was really nice to just chat with all of them. And, and for me, I was bouncing between people talking about like, Star Wars and Doctor Who and things from the incomparable, and then people talking about Apple stuff for a, uh, upgrade and six colors and clockwise. So that was pretty. That was a lot of fun too. That that their, their interests were really diverse. So it was it was a great night, and they kept bringing us drinks, Mike. Yeah, I <laughs> made the good mistake of on analog talking about my favorite bourbons, and then. They just kept appearing in my hands. People just kept bringing me glasses oh of, of Maker's Mark. Yeah. And I thought you were doing okay with the beer, and then I saw you with, with whiskey in your hand, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> it was fun. It was really... <laughs> it's like this sort of thing, is, and, and the reason that I wanted us to talk about this today was because one of the ongoing themes we've had in this show is that we're both going through like changes in our lives that are related to our work. Right. And one of the big things for me is the detachment from people on a day-to-day basis, like... I don't. When I used to work in an office, whether I wanted to speak to people or whatever, there was always people around. Right. And I'm learning now that the value in making sure I get out to meet people in these sort of environments. So I think it's interesting for anybody that likes this stuff or works on their own or whatever to go to these types of things like meetups and conferences and stuff because it really helps just give you the human interaction that we kind of we all need. Yeah, and and something like Slack. And Skype, they can they can do a lot. It can go a long way, but there's that little extra part of it that that meeting, like me and you hanging out in person, yeah, adds that little bit more that we can't get from just talking on Skype. Yeah, last night um, after dinner, we were hanging out with a bunch of other people in the bar, talking and and uh, you know drinking various things. I was having some Guinness. We have an ask upgrade about that later, yeah. I think. And um, it was just I, I was sitting there thinking, you know. We haven't spent a lot of time together uh, in person, and it's a it's it's good. It's it's a different thing, and we and we haven't spent any time together since we started doing this show, yeah. and uh, so that it's been really good for that. That that it's just it's it's like a little host bonding time, mm-hmm. and it's 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 good, and it does remind me as well that even though I do get out of my house and see other you know other parents when I'm picking my kids up from school, and we try to try to have people over for dinner sometimes it does remind me that i do need to make that extra effort to see people because it's a it's a another it's another thing and it can't entirely be replaced by a slack chat room or a or a google hangout uh, it's, it's like one of those things where where like i'm working really hard on something and my girlfriend's like you haven't left the house for two days yeah. like <laughs> maybe you should just leave it's like I'm working hard. It's like you're in a big uh, plastic bubble with uh, inquisitive on the on the label. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just is, in, Mike's yeah, inside the bubble. He's inside the bubble now. <laughs> Let <laughs> him out. Inquiring. Leave him alone. Let him out. Um, before we lose all our listeners through to people just not wanting to hear about our escapades. Yes. Should we hashtag relay. Hashtag relay your feels. Yeah. 
let's, and let's, let Casey uh, deal with it. We, that is actually one of the subjects of Animal <laughs> this week was the, the, the meetup because Casey was, was fascinated. That's actually, if you haven't listened to Analog before, I suggest this week's episode because there's also, I get really, really angry about something um, that I want to get off my chest and I think it's really interesting. All right, so um, I, that's, there, there's some uh, fallout of a sort. Yes, Check that it's out. It's a good episode, actually. Episode number 33, but it's in our show notes. Mr. Jason Snow, where can people find the show notes for Upgrade? It's at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 20... I, I have to scroll up. <laughs> oh, no, my internet. 29. Perfect. Or in or, your podcast app of that you're listening to right now. Because mm-hmm. they're probably in there. Should we take a quick break? I think that's a good idea. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at lynda.com. They are the online learning platform with thousands of on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. We're talking over 3,000 courses on things like maybe you want to learn how to master Excel, negotiation tactics so you can be more powerful in the business place, or maybe you want to build a website Learn something about Photoshop that you've always wanted before. You can get a free 10-day trial at lynda.com slash upgrade. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash upgrade. With lynda.com, you're able to watch these really excellent, excellent, really nicely like produced videos. They're taught by total experts who have a real passionate about the thing passionate about things they're teaching, but also just about teaching in general. That Lynda.com go to great lengths to find the right people to teach the courses that you're after. Maybe you want to learn how to go paperless. They have start to finish courses on that. Maybe you want to understand a bit more about design and you're interested in typography or colour and just want to understand some of the fundamentals before you go into web design. With Lynda.com you can basically start out a map, a whole curriculum for yourself. You're able to build these playlists that allow you to drop in videos you know, from any anywhere over lynda.com, create a playlist for yourself and just go through it all. And if it really works for you, you can share it with your friends as well. Lynda have Android and iOS apps so you can watch on the go from wherever you are. You can browse and go around and look in their transcripts as well. So you can follow these along as you're going, but also the transcripts allow you to search for a specific part in the video. Maybe you're like, oh, how did they mention about how to put gradients in Photoshop? Search for the word, click it, and it takes you to that part in the video, shows you everything you need to know. Lynda.com is an incredible resource, and your membership to Lynda.com can give you unlimited access to all of these hundreds of topics, thousands of videos for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an expert, you're passionate about a hobby, you just want to learn something new, go and visit lynda.com slash upgrade for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to Linda for their continued support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Do you like it when you see me do the ads live? I, I do. In fact, at one point, and I, um, I'm, I'm tempted to tweet that picture, at one point you uh, punched... The air mm-hmm. with your fist while you were really reading. Excited. That was uh, that was that was impressive. It, yeah. it is funny because as we were going into that and we had a little back and forth there, and that's something that's actually something that we can't really do because of the distance between England and California. The the latency in Skype, we can't do that quick. Nope. You kind of have to give everything a few seconds to land because of that. So that's another fun thing. Yeah, Speed that, of light conspires against us there, Mike. That is the main problem me and you have with the show. So the latency is really, really high. But you know, we <laughs> we're going to hear now. Free. It's like that's not the main problem. Gonna, <laughs> you have many more. Say, <laughs> so many more. Am I right? Is Mike right? How do you feel about the six plus now? Um, well, you you've been very confident online about being right about mm-hmm. the six plus, and um, so I, when I was flying over here from Glasgow, 
because I went to, from London, I took the train up to Glasgow, stayed there for a few days, got to see all things Scottish, had truly Scottish meal, which was a curry, which was actually mm-hmm. great. It was my first curry. Um, my wife is very excited that we, she can uh, take me to Indian food now that I've approved <laughs> of some Indian food, um, at least in the Scottish fashion. Can mm-hmm. you get me some good Scottish Indian food? That's what I need now. Um, but And then so we flew down uh, from, from Glasgow, and I wanted to listen to music on the plane while I was reading because I was reading that, that uh, new Steve Jobs book. And I realized all my music was on my iPhone 6 that I, uh, I, I brought with me but has just been turned off. So I – I, it's in airplane mode. I turned it on and I was listening to music. The moment that I pulled it out and I held it in my hand, I thought, oh, this is the moment of truth for uh, is Mike right or not? And and I have to say, I felt this just sort of like sigh of relief okay. <laughs> about it um, because I still feel more comfortable with the 6. I like the 6 Plus. I, I, I don't think I ever hated it. I feel like maybe it's, maybe it's just not for me um, that I like the smaller size. It is you know, you can learn the tricks. You were talking about this last night. Uh, you can learn the tricks to to sort of moving it around. But there is sort of a dexterity that yep. you need to become practiced with to uh, flip that, you know, hold it and, and flip it around in certain ways to reach other parts of the screen. And um, I can appreciate learning that. And I have been learning some of that. But I, I'm, you know, I, I don't think it's for me. I, I am seeing more of the benefits about it. So this is where I will say that Mike was right, is um, traveling. I brought it. One of the reasons I brought it was the big battery. And I thought if I'm out and about somewhere traveling, I don't want to run out of my battery because then I'm not going to know where I am and not be able to get home. And uh, and that's been great. That battery is amazing. It is truly amazing. So um, so I have positive feelings about it. But I, unless it changes in the next in the next few days, um, my feeling is that um, I would not I would not get a, a six plus from or or its successor as my next phone. Um, but my wife, I think, is intrigued by it because she keeps her phone in her purse and she doesn't do a lot of like wandering around with the one, you know one handed phone thing, and uh, and she likes the bigger screen. So so someone in my family may get a plus in the end, but I well, I don't well, that one. yeah, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think that will be me. So I found it really interesting at dinner last night. The six plus became a topic of conversation. It, it did because, it, and that was that was we should say our dinner table. It was you and me, and Georgia and and Renee and Serenity and Marco and Tiff and James Thompson and there were a couple other people there. Tiff or uh, uh, Georgia's husband. Uh, and and I, I the other people were down at the other end of the table, and I'm not sure who they were. But it was a crazy table. Yeah, it was great. And the six plus came up. Yeah, because Georgia has this incredible case, which has a, like a little strap on the back. Yeah. So she holds it. She's able to put her, her fingers yeah. into the, the strap so she can more com- like confidently reach around the screen because it's not... Right. It's, it, it it's an elastic of, strap w- that's basically like a sticker. So you could put it on any case or even on the phone itself. And yeah. it's this little elastic hand strap. Have you uh, ever played... There is a there is a, like a game like a garden game where you have like a big circle of velcro. Yeah. Oh yeah. It reminded me of that, and you throw yeah. the ball and you catch it. Uh-huh. I, I can't remember what it's called, but that's what it reminded me of because you can just you have it attached to your hand, uh-huh. and everyone on the table like, whoa, what is this right. magic? But it, I find it so interesting that this is coming up now. Like the six plus is is back into all the podcasts that we listen to. Everyone's uh-huh. talking about it again. It's because people are traveling, so it's. 
the the reason that the six plus always made sense for me is was the amount of commuting that I did, and it still makes sense because where I when I do leave the house, like which, you know, you're I'm gone not, all you're gone a long time. I'm, when you I'm leave. gone most of the day. So and that you know, and I like to be able to use my phone for the whole day, and I'm a really heavy iPhone user. Like I'm very very frequently doing more than one thing. Like I'm listening to a podcast and playing a game, or listening to music and reading Twitter and flying around and doing this. Like I really push it. Mm-hmm. So that's why like the battery makes so much sense and the screen makes so much sense. Have you done any reading on it? Because you said you were, were you doing your reading on the Kindle. Yeah, I was just reading on the Kindle. I, I, I mean, I've done a lot of using Twitter, just reading web articles and Nuzzle, and using things that Nuzzle finds for me. Um, that uh, the, you know, so I'm, I'm reading articles, just not like a book. I'm not using using it for that. So, because I think the other part of it, like what will be interesting to see, is when the Apple Watch comes out. Then will it change even right. more opinions and how people use the six plus? Right, because if you're using your phone less and it's staying in your pocket more, um, then the Apple Watch is an interesting justification for the six plus because you know you've got your quick interactions on the small device, and then when you really want to, oh, here it comes, here comes yeah. the big device because now you're you're serious about something. And- because it it makes sense from like to me from a logical perspective, if you're using if you you have to have the, your phone in your hand less. You may as well have when you do have it. You have the maximum amount of everything you can have. That that's what right. makes sense to me. Because if I'm using my watch to do a lot of interaction, because that's how I expect, in theory, it would be the majority of quick interactions, pulling out, checking something, responding to a message, should all be going on here now on the watch. Right. Agreed. So then, in that case, it won't be such a problem. That this isn't. A really a one-handed device. Although he, he somebody, said he said here, by the way, and tapped his wrist, and then tap and, my, and then my tapped pocket. his pocket, which is really good for me because I'm here, but bad for podcasting. But this that's is, what happens. This is why I don't like to do video. See, people say, "Why yeah. do you do video when you record?" Because it changes things. Because then, it? then oh, I, this happens to me when I'm on Leo Laporte's shows all the time. Is that I'm I'm very well aware that they have an audio component and people can just listen to the audio, but they will. Always, and you find yourself doing it too. Reference things that are visual, mm-hmm. like oh, you know that—that's what it looks like. And people listening to audio have no idea what you're talking like, about. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, look, right look. there. I see. That's your pocket. Good, <laughs> good, good. I, I, I also thought it was funny that um, that Georgia, um, Georgia's thing was—it's all in the eye of the beholder because a lot of people are like, oh, that's so cool. And I sat there thinking, see, that's the problem with the six plus is people are excited yeah. about. Sticking an no, elastic hand strap on the back, like it's going, like you can use it for uh, to to catch a ball with Velcro. Um, that that I think that's points out the its flaw, but it also shows you uh, the enthusiasm people have for using it, despite the fact that it's so huge, because they get so much else out of it. So it's both of those things yeah. at once. Someone did say something to me recently on Twitter, which I found really interesting: is that using the Apple Watch is a two-handed device. Yeah, because it's on your wrist and then you have to touch it with your other hand. Yeah. Yes. So it's like the convenience is you can look at things, but interaction is will always right. be two-handed. Right, although you're not holding it anything yeah. in either hand, but yeah, you always have to have the 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 pointer and the unless and, you are a contortionist, <laughs> like you strap it to your shoulder or yeah. something. So you could just poke your shoulder. But like that 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 was an interesting thing to me, but I think the majority of the benefit is just knowing what that vibration in my pocket was about, which is why I love the pebble. Right. And I think it's why you love the pebble yeah. as well. Is it's, and that's why for some or people missing the, the vibration works. because it's not in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
So I mean that I'm very ex- I'm as we're getting closer and closer I am becoming more and more excited for the Apple Watch mm-hmm. and, and I found that the more that more that we talk about it more people talk about it the more excited we will get with the possibility of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got the chance it's got the the possibility to be really great. Um whether well I mean it's going to be a first generation product and uh and early software. So I suspect that Apple will learn a lot. Um so it'll be interesting to see how fully formed it is in the first go and what it changes over time. But it's got the potential to be really great, I think. It's just it's so interesting to me that like we could be in a situation where these devices that we're so used to using, we're now going to use it in a completely different way. Like yeah, our phones are going to. We're going to. Like I am so tied to this and this screen, doing things on it all the time. You touched his pocket again. People. Yeah, I did it. I can't help it. <laughs> uh, that it's. I'm just really interested to think that that's going to shift. Well, right now it's 100% of our our walking around connecting to the internet. is. It's a little bit like uh, when we said uh, phones and tablets are going to change how we use computers because we won't need the computers for everything anymore. This has the potential to do that with our smartphones where they're not going to go away, but they become the hub of other devices that are using its internet connection even but are – or how we interact. If you could shave off a third of your interactions with your phone and put them on the watch, and and that made them faster and simpler, um, that could be great. But that is that is changing how you use your phone because now you're not using your phone for those purposes, and that's really yeah. interesting. Before the original iPhone came out, and like when we knew what it could do, and leading up to it, I spent a lot of time thinking about in my life what are the things that I'm doing. <clears throat> excuse me, like the things that I'm doing that I could do with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Right? So you sit and think, oh, this is good, but imagine if I had the iPhone for this. And I'm now doing that with the watch. Like, we went to dinner, and I was walking from my hotel, and it was about a half-hour walk. I didn't know the route, so I was keeping my phone in my jacket pocket so I could take it out mm-hmm. and look, keep taking it out and looking. And I was thinking, if I had it on the watch for, for the location, like oh, for yeah. the walking stuff, it's so much easier. And plus, I was in a... It was a perfectly nice area, but it was an area I didn't know. So I didn't want to keep taking my phone I know. out of my yeah, pocket. I know, yeah, me too. Because I don't, I, I, I just don't know where I'm walking. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm walking through a good part of Dublin or a bad part of Dublin. Right. And I didn't want to keep having to do that. So able to look at my watch would be nicer. And I have seen people like, well, you're now wearing this product, showing the world. That is a definite That's true. thing. And I wonder what that will be like. Because I know whenever I've got, like when I got the iPhone for the first time or got an iPad for the first time, there is that like... Um, self like uh, I'm very conscious about the fact that I have this device that when people see it they'll be like oh he's got the new Apple thing ah uh, yeah but now it's like you won't be able to miss the watch because right. it'll be in front of everyone because it's, it's attached to your body yeah then again it, it's it's a watch and people wear watches so that there's that which is it's not a new it's a new product but it's in an old class so yeah. you'll have to pay closer attention to um to what it is, to and so th- at that point, it's like yes, if a watch thief <laughs> is looking for the expensive watches and then trying to rip them off your wrist, that uh, they'll notice that you have an Apple Watch. But um, a lot of people may just not even notice because it's just a watch. So before we move on, because I want to talk about the Steve Jobs book, because you mentioned that there was one thing you said you listen to music when you read. Yes. Do you listen to music with lyrics? Uh, yes. Interesting. So. And I do this when I work, too, when I write. And we, we, we were talking about this. You get a bunch of writers and, and programmers together, and this always comes up. Yep. Um, 
Marco and I were talking about listening to music and versus uh, listening to podcasts and audiobooks and how uh, Tiff can listen to audiobooks and podcasts while she's working because she's editing photos. And, uh, you know, I think I think there's truth in saying that you're they're using visual parts of your brain and your speech centers and your language centers are a different part of your brain. And that's when things get complicated is when you have a, have a collision. Um, and so everybody, everybody, I know people who can't listen to music when they're writing or reading. I know people who can't listen to music with lyrics for me. Um, and I, I'm sure I've said this before somewhere. I, what I need is to listen to things I know by heart. Right. So, or, 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 Things without lyrics is fine too, but what I can't do is download the new Death Cab for Cutie album. See, I'm being timely with the, with the kids. Federico will be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't download that album and just start listening to it as I'm writing because I will be distracted by the songs. And but once I know them, they fade into the background, and it's just it's good energy, and I know what all the songs are, and I know how they how they feel, but I'm not tuned into the detail anymore. And that makes the difference for me. So, so yes, I, I, I put on a playlist and if it's not working for me, I'll put on a different playlist because it needs to sort of fit my mood too. But, but I, I have no problem with the words thing. And I know some people that bothers them, but I can write with music. In fact, I mean, I wrote, I wrote my, um, that first NaNoWriMo novel that I did, you know, I wrote a hundred thousand words with nothing but, image and heap and say anything on repeat. So if I was feeling in one mood, it would be the image and heap electronic stuff. And if I was feeling in another mood, it was the punk rock. And that was that I wrote the whole book that way. And that's all music with, with lyrics, but I knew it by heart and it was more about the mood. What about you? I can listen to music with lyrics. Um, when I, when I write, uh, so when I write scripts and stuff, but I tend to listen to, things that pump me up to hmm. keep the energy going. So that tends to be like chip tune music. So they are a sponsor, but Brave Wave are a, a great little record label that they've created a few albums that are like this. They work with music, video game composers. Yeah, yeah. And, that, well, and that's the, and that's the, you're, you're behind the app yeah, theme. They, yeah. They, they created the music as well, but they, they, their stuff, it's like, it's really fast paced mm-hmm. and, and like upbeat. And that helps me go through stuff. But, but if that goes to the, what I was saying about yeah. the mood too, is that, is that I can't just put on anything. Sometimes I, I, uh, you know, a morning will come and I'll have some sort of nice, friendly, smooth, you know, easy pop stuff. And I'll think to myself, no, I'm not in that. I'm in a blacker mood than that. And I'll put on like my, my Husker Du Bob Mold playlist, which is all just sort of like loud guitars and shouting. It's like, yes, that's what I need now. That is I need the, the loud guitars and the shouting this morning. I'll play. There's a, there's a song called uh, Something I Learned Today by Husker Du, which is a... That's yeah. If I want to get up in the morning and like be energetic and also angry, the 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 catharsis that that song and songs like that provide is fantastic. I mean, that's that's music is kind of a drug in that way. It's like it's a mood mood enhancer, and I I definitely use it that way. I did get to the point when I was in my old job that I could listen to podcasts whilst writing a little bit. Wow. Because it, it, it was like out of necessity. I really wanted to listen to podcasts <laughs> so I could do like basic copywriting and like just responding to emails and stuff when listening. 
That thus proving that marketing does not activate any of the language centers of your brain. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> this week's episode is also brought to you by Bushel. They are a cloud-based mobile device management solution for the Mac, the iPhone, and the iPad. What this does, if you work in a small business, you work in a small team, it allows you to take control of the Apple devices that people in your team or business use. What makes Bushel different to other services like this is that if you, you don't have to read a bunch of IT books, you don't have to bring in somebody who knows everything about IT administration. You don't need any of that. It's been built to be used by anybody. Their user interface is super clean. It's really simple. It puts great power at your fingertips. It allows you to easily set up and configure calendars and email accounts, which can be a real pain. You want you know you want to keep them all safe with long passwords and all the crazy configuration you have to do with email accounts that no one really understands so you can set it all up remotely for people they can so you, you just set them up in in bushel and you can push all of this stuff to their devices really easily you can have passcode requirements you can remotely install apps on their devices as well you're able to comply with maybe any security standards that you have to stop those apps from being able to take information out so maybe you work with some clients that have some sensitive documents this is what bushel allows you to control one of the great things i think my favorite thing about Bushel is that you don't have to buy a bunch of iPhones for your employees. If they have iPhones already, you can just put all of your stuff that you need for your business onto their devices. It doesn't interrupt any of their stuff. It can all be done remotely. If they lose the device or if they buy a new device, you can wipe all of that information off. It's very, very awesome. And it and when you take that information away, it doesn't get rid of their personal stuff as well. So Bushel, it, it's really cool. And it's kind of one of those things that whenever I look into what they do or I talk to them on, on Skype and we're talking about the product, I'm like, this sounds like magic. I don't really know how you're doing it. There's things in here that I didn't even know you could do with iPhones, but they find a way to do it. Bushel allows for simple, automatic setup of Apple devices in your workplace. It allows you to simply configure and manage them without having to devote all the resources of an IT manager. You can sign up for Bushel right now at bushel.com upgrade. The first three devices you register will be free for life. And for any more, it's just $2 per device per month. Thank you so much to Bushel for supporting this show. Go and check them out. And thanks for helping us out at Relay FM. Yeah, you were uh, talking about your favorite feature of Bushel, and I nodded. That was also really funny because no one can see that. But I was agreeing with you. Yes, that's a good feature. The the reinforcement. Yeah, punch the air. (laughs) Bushel! (laughs) So let's talk about the Steve Jobs book. How far. So this is Becoming Steve Jobs. Yeah. Which is this new book written by. Brent Schlender and Rick Tetley. Tetley. I I don't know. Tetley. There are a couple of uh, business writers, I think, who have worked for Forbes and all of Fast Company. Fast Company and those sort of companies. See, I said Fast Company like that. I didn't say Fast Company. No. Mm. Fast. uh, Yes. Mike is. That's a whole other topic. Uh, Mike is gradually. He's floating over the Atlantic somewhere. Mm Gradually becoming more American. We're ruining Mike. Or or improving me. It depends where you come from. (laughs) Uh, I also would recommend that people listen to the the podcast that John Gruber moderated with them at the Apple Store. Yeah, in in the style of your podcast at the Mm. Apple Store. Apple is doing this more where they're creating these podcasts for Apple in-store events. And there's a video and audio version of John Gruber interviewing the authors on stage at the Apple Store. Which is really good. And it adds a little bit of insight into the book. And our friend John, who can't be here with us because of his medical reasons, he can take the train to New York. Indeed. So it's, it's good to see... It was good to see him, and we miss him here. So you're about halfway through. Yeah, I would say that I'm 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 almost at fifty percent. I'm listening to the audiobook. 
and I'm about halfway through as well. Yeah. Um, Yay, half read, half read books. Yay. But <laughs> I still feel like there's enough in this point to talk about. Well, we've we've got him through uh, ne- through next and uh, the release of Toy Story. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And it's just the you know we, we're at the point now where Apple. I'm reading the part where Apple is looking for a replacement operating system because Copeland and all their other attempts have failed. And the way they portray it is that Windows 95 has upped the game and Apple is uh, far behind. Um, I think that maybe overstates it a little bit. But I remember that era. I was We reached the point where I was working at a Mac magazine. So I remember this era really well. So it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, now we're up to, now we're up to the point where I was there for this stuff uh, when Apple was desperately looking for a new operating system. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book and our opinions and feelings on it, like you just mentioned. If you haven't read it, it's fine. Like, we're just talking about... What, there's Spo- no, spoiler alert, yeah. Steve Jobs sells next to Apple, comes back to Apple, and becomes the CEO. Because I know that I, <laughs> I, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to have any have anything spoiled. But I think, I think, I mean, without knowing, I think a lot of the maybe more interesting tidbits like this will be later in the book, if there are any. Right. Um, because this stuff, it's it's like... It's effectively ancient, well-known history. Like, everything that's in here so far that I've read, it's just a retelling of a story that I know. But the difference is, because I kind of, with the Isaacson book, I only got about two-thirds through it, and I just couldn't continue. So, and so it's effectively the same amount of story. But right. this book tells the story in an interesting and compelling way, I find. I agree. I, I think the Isaacson book gets weighted down. It's bloated. I think he felt like he had to get everything out there because he he felt like he was writing the definitive book. And, and I think, ironically, that it is what one of the reasons why it's not the definitive book. And, you know, famously, of course, John Syracuse wrote about this a lot or, or and uh, spoke about it a lot on Hypercritical. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the my takeaway for the Steve Jobs book was it's um, – uh, the Isaac's book was that it was uh, – a good book to use as reference for the definitive Steve Jobs book that will be written in 20 years, not the definitive Steve Jobs book. And uh, and But I think Isaacson was weighted down by that. And these guys are freed by the fact that the Isaacson book exists to be able to know that that's out in the world and that they don't have to do everything, but they can, they can tell the story the way they want to tell it. Because the benefit that they have, that they seem to have that maybe other people don't, is I think it's Brent... I, th- I believe that it's Brent Schendler, Schindler, Schlender, Schlender, who has all the tapes, right? Yeah, well, he, like he's got the history of interviews, is, and it's, that's why it's written in first person with him as the I, is because he, um, he had the relationship with Steve Jobs. Yep. So there is like this, it's interesting to hear them talk about the process of the book in the podcast that they did, because it seems like it was just a case of, we started writing an article. And then it was like, I want to just keep going because mm. there's so much here. Because he had all these tapes that, that hadn't been used. And there's one thing that he talked about, which I found was interesting. I, I think it was either, I think Gruber asked him, like, do you feel comfortable about publishing things that are off the record now? Like, is there a statute of limitations? And Schlender Schl- Schl- was like... He's I, like a German slender. Yeah. Schlender. <laughs> it's like, he said, like, I don't feel like I have published anything that is not... You know that is that is wrong now. 
Like there are things that you know we spoke about that I wouldn't have published then, but it's been so long. Yeah, and it doesn't affect anything. But now it's interesting information to have. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a sense when you're talking about Steve Jobs and Apple that this is um, history, and you don't want the information you've got to be lost. You don't want. At some point, people should talk about what happened because we should know what happened and not just let the muddy accounts of the day be the thing that stands forever about you know who did what and how did this all, this period of technology history happen. So one of the things that I'm taking away from the book, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing for the book existing in history, compared to the Isaacson book, there is an emotional connection that I feel in reading this book that these guys had for Steve. And mm-hmm. it might be partly because it's in the first person, which is a really interesting way of telling the story. Yeah. But like the Isaacson book feels more like it. He had an opinion that you could feel, but he was at least attempting to be like, this is what happened. These are the facts. Right. But I feel like in this book, the voice in the book, because it's like a combination of the two of them, has an emotional connection because they exp- they try to explain away some of Steve's emotions. Right. This this is a book with a, a strong point of view about the, the, the character arc, if you will, of Steve Jobs' life. Yeah. This is a book that believes, you know, not like, well, here are the facts. Isn't he an interesting set of contradictions? But he was a genius, but he was a jerk. And, you know, that's very much, I think, what the Isaacson book does. And this book is like, no, here's what we think this is, which is he was, um, he was a very young executive. He never had a good mentor and believed and was too full of himself and didn't have anybody to mentor him and therefore he all his worst qualities were enhanced were magnified and then through chance with Pixar he found finally found people whose behavior he could model who were so talented that he couldn't discount them as not being as great as he was. And those were Ed Catmull and John Lasseter. And that by going through the failure at Next, by learning about management and creativity from the way that that Lasseter and Catmull worked at Pixar, where he was more hands-off because he wasn't in the creative process. He was just the owner of the company. That when he returned to Apple, he had spent... And by dealing with Disney, I suppose, too, um, when they started working there, although that with, with Jeffrey Katzenberg, that was kind of a fraught relationship. But these are the lessons that led Steve Jobs to be a different guy when he came back to Apple. And although he had a lot of the same uh, questionable attributes, they were, they were muted, they were mellowed. They, he, he had finally learned the things that, you know, imagine if he had learned them back Imagine if instead of Scully, they had hired a CEO at Apple who truly could have been more of a mentor for Jobs and said, look, I know you're going to be the CEO eventually. Let me let me help you get there and show you the way. And that wasn't Scully. And and so there's a sense of that lost opportunity, but the sense that, that in the end, we you got the Steve Jobs we got at the end because of this journey that he went on and that he completed it. And that all the stories that we hear now about what, the bad behavior of Steve Jobs, the really bad stuff, that, that narrative is from when he was first at Apple and that the Steve in the latter days at Apple was, you know, the same guy, but, but had learned a lot and progressed. And, you know, is that true or not? I don't know, but that seems to be their claim here. That's the story that they're telling of a guy who learned and grew, but it took him a while to find somebody to help him grow. 
How do you feel about Apple's kind of blessing now? Like reading this book, <laughs> like because it's not. I mean, I mean, on the whole, it is so far positive about Steve, but it doesn't hide his problems. No, the, the. I mean, like I said, the story they're trying to tell is that Steve was somebody who has, you know, he he had personality issues. He yells at people and is. Uh, they said he's a spoiled kid who was never told no. Yeah. And he, he, his talent let him go a long way without ever hearing anybody say no. And that's one of the reasons they sort of created a monster with, with, with this guy. And it took him a long time to kind of turn that around and, and, and be more productive. So I can see how from the perspective of Apple and from Steve's friends that they like this because it shows that he progressed as a human and was not that – I mean far be <sighs> – they, they talk a little bit about the about the fact that he denied the the parentage of Lisa, his 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 daughter, um, from a prior relationship to his his marriage. And it's true, and it was baffling. Everybody thinks of it as, even including I think his friends, as like the worst thing he ever did in his life. But this book does point out, and they're not apologizing for it, but you know that was a that was a piece of terrible behavior that he made as a 23 year old man i really enjoyed i not, i i've heard my my other book that i really enjoy it's called the second coming of steve jobs have you read this yeah by alan deutschman i've listened to it a few times it's fantastic but it only goes up to a certain point but they focus on this the, obviously the the movie the pirates of silicon valley yeah. they, everyone focuses on this and they say it's like they everybody points to this and says this is why he is a nasty man, right? But he was like in his early twenties. He didn't can know we, what to do. Can we all? Are all of us going to be held to our worst behavior when we were twenty three? That's a that's. I mean, again, sure, if you kill somebody or something sure. like that, you should. But you know, and there's nobody denying that it was ridiculous yeah, behavior. I'm not excusing it, but anyway, you know, for the full picture of a man, he he lived a lot longer. <laughs> And his relationship with Lisa changed dramatically, and she lived with him mm-hmm. and his young kids and his and his wife, and they they had a difficult relationship. But ooh, the wolves are coming for us, Mike. <laughs> that was a weird. Noise. That was a weird noise. Is that the wind? It must just be the wind. Yeah, winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> it does look like that out there. Yeah. Um. So you know. I, I think the reason that Apple authorized this in their in their own way authorized that people talk on the record about it who are you know Apple employees who knew Steve is that they felt like it painted a fuller picture of the of the the whole man and his journey and I I can see why they that was important to them that that they don't like the narrative that Jobs was always that guy that awful guy uh, they and this book wants to say yes he was that awful guy but he grew and, you know, I, I don't know whether that's a true story or whether that's a whitewash. My, my feeling is that everybody's more complicated than <laughs> than the simplicity of a story in a book. Um, but, uh, you know, I can see why Apple would want would, would like this portrayal because it's more human. Um, whereas uh, even the Isaacson book, there's sort of like a lot of late a lot of late detail from late conversations with Steve and then there's the kind of typical story arc of Steve Jobs and this is a this is the the thesis of this book really makes it different that he he did grow and progress and was somebody who was kind of broken because he never had a, a mentor who 
who could really like say, Steve, you, you know, this is how you uh, perform as an adult in business. And he never had that. I think the title of the book kind of says it all. Like, we're in the phase at the moment, the becoming part. Yeah. Like, everything leading up to creating the man who could understand what he needed to right. do and how he needed to run things. And how can you reconcile that, reconcile that um, childish uh, guy who worked on the Mac project and started next and, and has these legendary blow-ups? How do you reconcile that man to the sainted... Uh, turtleneck guy who brings out all these products and a lot of the coverage of Steve Jobs is like the strange contradictions of Steve Jobs and and what this book says is it's not a contradiction it's a it's it's a progression of his life he started as that guy and became this guy and that wasn't just good PR that was his growth yeah so it's, it's interesting I, I am I find um some you know, I, I find little little uh, bits that are wrong here and there. Most troubling to me as the as the creator of uh, sixcolors.com is their ref- reference to Apple's five color rainbow. <laughs> what? One of the ones that Stephen pointed out was like they were saying about the the iBooks came in white plastic or black. Yeah, Mac. and that was that was the MacBook. The MacBook. Like, and I know that it's the little. Thing. They're little things, but they drive us crazy. Yeah, because they're these little. Details. You said something really interesting when we were talking about this about where these guys come from. Yeah, they're business. They're business journalists, and they. Um, so there, there's a there's a line about the early '90s where they say Apple had become completely irrelevant, and they they bring this up a few times. Yeah, and and it it made me furious because that's when I became a, a Mac user and started working in this business was in the early 90s and I will grant you not the best time for Apple and it led them to a cliff but I think they're one I think they're guilty of the same compression that so many people are which is you really want to fast forward to the end of the Apple story where Steve Jobs comes back but you know under Scully Apple motored along for quite a while doing a pretty good job and built a huge culture of Mac users yes we were the seven percenters but they, that was a great market to be in. The magazines were flourishing. People loved the Mac. It was an alternative platform, but it was a great time. And only in the mid-90s did things start to fall apart. And and if you ignore the 10 years before that, I think you misstate Apple, misunderstand that story. But these guys are financial. They're business journalists. And so, you know, we, we talk about things like what the Macalope writes about these days, about people covering Apple and totally missing what Apple's about. I got to say it. I think these guys were those guys in the 90s. They, they considered Apple irrelevant because Apple didn't have enough market share, because big business didn't use Apple computers. They would have the Macs in the art department. The yep. designers would use them, but every other PC that was being sold was a, a Windows PC. And so from their perspective, Apple lost because the only way Apple could win that is by having every computer in business be a Mac. And that was totally not what they, what happened. I would argue that I think that was never a possibility, at least not since the early days. And, and in fact, you would say, oh, okay, so what you're really saying, if we extract this argument even further, what you're really saying is Apple should have licensed Mac OS – like like Microsoft did, and then they could have been Microsoft, but then they would have been Microsoft, and yeah. they wouldn't have been Apple. So I think it's not an argument that really 
is very strong. I, and, and the fact that they just assume it as Apple was irrelevant is what they're really saying is Apple wasn't Windows. Apple didn't didn't do what Microsoft did. And from a business standpoint, it's totally true. Microsoft grew and was huge, and Apple didn't. But I don't think that's irrelevancy. No. I think it's irrelevant if you write for Fortune magazine. There's like this one point where after saying that like Apple was irrelevant because they're talking about Gates, and then uh, Schlender says that he took a job in Tokyo because there was nothing happening in Silicon Valley anymore. Because yeah. it was just Microsoft and Intel just trundling along. Right, and if that's all you're looking for is change in the big global PC industry, um, I guess you could see that that was you could the say that time. was boring. Yeah, but that you know I think that misstates it. Also, I mean. You jump over things like the PowerBooks. The first PowerBooks, that was all under Scully, the PowerBooks. And those were – people loved those. And those were the talk of – those were the first laptops that people like really loved. That Apple – again, they weren't the first laptops at all. But they were the ones that became like – I remember there was like stories about – movie executives being seen at Los Angeles area restaurants with their power books doing work. And it was this, Ooh, it's so fancy. I mean, there was a lot in there that is glossed over. So I think that's a missing piece of the Apple of the Apple story here is that it's really easy to throw, um, Scully under the bus and say his whole reign was a disaster, but you know, there was a lot of success there of a sort. It was not the Microsoft success, but, um, the Mac, I thought, you know, it's weird to think that these guys consider the time that I became a Mac user, loved the Mac, bought a bunch of Macs, became a person who wrote about the Mac, and have them just say it was irrelevant. That whole period was just a period of irrelevancy because it sure didn't feel like that to me. Does that it, hurt you a little bit? Well, it, what it brings back is it brings back the, the time when right. people would say, come on, Mac only has 10% of the market. So, Why you, you, you know, you are irrelevant. And the answer is, but the 10% are the people who know better. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best 10%. Yeah, it's the best 10%. Absolutely. And we loved it. And uh, we were a, it was a min- minority platform. And we were the ones who wanted something that wasn't the usual computer. And we loved the, loved the Mac. Um, it's actually a really nice tidbit that the book has about how Fred Anderson, the CFO, who was brought back right as the company's about to go out of business. Um, one of the reasons he took the job is that he and his wife were huge Mac heads. They just loved the Mac. And, and they thought, like, well, we can get to go back to California, where they were from. And they, and they loved Apple. And it's like there was a lot of passion for Apple. It, it, they make it seem like Apple's passion was like in 85, and then it was over, right. and they were a failure, and they just hung on for the next 12 years, which is just, it's just wrong. But I understand their perspective because they're business guys, they're business journalists. And and for them, there was no story there uh, because Bill Gates won and and, and Steve Jobs didn't. But in general, I do like their perspective. I do. I, you know, they have, they, they were there and that helps a lot because like I said, they have a level of understanding of, of some of this material that that Isaacson doesn't. Yeah. This is not the story of like from a Mac user's perspective, but it is uh, understanding the industry at that time in a way that, that Walter Isaacson doesn't because he was not interested in this industry at that time. You may be biased, but do you think there's still space for the third book? Like the book from someone from your perspective? Oh, there, like your book, yes, example. my book. Sure, sure. I'd like to announce I'm writing. <laughs> uh, there, there's space for a lot of books, although I admit that... Um, like a lot of people, I'm kind of getting Steve Jobs fatigue. Yeah, I don't. I don't need another one for like five years. I and I want what I think I want is, yeah. In 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 ten years, I want a 
good book that synthesizes the reporting from these other books and tries to, with the perspective of 10 more years or 20 more years, understand this era and and what Apple meant in it. Um, and I suspect, you know, of course we'll get that at some point. Yeah. I do think there's more to say about Apple's history. And in fact, the the irony of um, uh, the, the Steve Jobs, the, the Ashton Kutcher movie is that the part that I thought was the most interesting was not about was not about Steve Jobs but was about Apple it was the story of Apple and I feel like strangely Steve Jobs has eclipsed the Apple story and it goes to things like compressing his time when he was gone there are some really great stories about the story arc of Apple and and instead of the founding and then yeah. you peel away with Steve to next and then he comes back and saves the company I'd kind of like more biographies, and there's some, but I, I kind of like more of the the story arc of Apple, where it it meanders and then it finally catastrophically loses its way, and then Steve comes back. Like, what if we stick with that character? Yeah, I don't know a lot of what happened when Steve went away because all of the nobody books wants to talk about with him, Scully and Spindler yeah. and Emilio, and and again, Scully was most of that time. I mean, when I started as an intern at Mac user was when the Newton came out. Newton was Scully's baby. So I started in this business with Scully as the CEO, and I became a Mac user with Scully running Apple. So I'm not a John Scully defender by any stretch of the imagination, but the fact that you cannot pretend that that era wasn't relevant in some way. And so I'd like to, I'd like to hear more about that. Um, I think I think we've let Steve Jobs kind of overshadow this other interesting story, which is uh, this company that uh, did some great things and then lost its way and then was reborn. So I'm becoming more and more interested in the Tim Cook story because he it's going to be another great chapter, isn't it? Like, did you see he's giving his fortune away? Did you see this? Yeah. Like, Other than he's going to put his nephew through yeah. college. <laughs> I want to know more about Tim Cook. Yeah. Well, that's why I said about about. 20 years from now or 10 years from now that we're going to be able to get the story of Apple and it's going to be a much broader story. It's not just going to be Apple coming up and losing its way and Steve Jobs coming back and having this amazing run, but it's going to have things that we that haven't happened yet. It's going to tell us the story of Tim Cook and, you know, depending on how things go and the way of all things, it's probably going to tell us how Apple's incredibly successful period ended and what were the things that made it end or change into becoming the great car manufacturer that yeah. we all know it know it as today in the year 2030 they used to make smartphones they used to make watches yeah. and before that music players and jukeboxes and uh and, and now they make cars and, and now they make cars and hoverboards yeah cuz I, I i think tim cook's story will be like the cat- like the unbelievable rise and then the stop yeah cuz that's it has to like Right. It has to stop. Either that or it will just trans- continue to transform into other things yeah. and, that, and be a different company, which is, which is fine. Which is, it's inevitable, right? I mean, that's, we've talked about this before. I actually think that's one of the reasons why the car thing is happening and why Google does the crazy things it does is that um, You've only got so far. businesses – okay, so people are mortal. But businesses – spoiler alert <laughs> – businesses are, are potentially immortal. And the, the reason businesses are mortal is because they don't change and they have this natural kind of progression. And the way that you become immortal as a business or at least extend your lifespan is by changing into something different. And businesses can do that. And, and the people at Apple and Google are very smart and they are 
they they spend a lot of time thinking about what are other things we can do to extend the life of this business by adding new business instead of stopping where we are and taking all this money and then all, we'll all retire and the new people will come in and not know what the hell they're doing and that'll be the end of it you know let's look out 20 years and say should we be making cars in 20 years could we be the one of the leading car manufacturers in a world of smart electric cars that drive themselves and fly maybe and our submarines that you can whatever it is yeah. um and I believe they are doing that. So so that's the thing is Apple's era of now will end and that'll happen whether or not there's another era beyond it. Yep. Should we take a break, do some awesome upgrades? Yeah, that's let's do up. it. Let's do it. Asked up upgrade as almost always, brought to you by MailRoute, my pals. Now Mike can watch me punch the air yeah. as I read I read about uh, MailRoute. I told you about them before, um, so let me explain it to you again. If you don't know how it works, it's really clever. It is uh, MailRoute is a service that lives in the cloud. You don't have to install any hardware and software on your servers. What you do is you point what are called MX records, which is basically in the domain name system. That's the thing that says here's where all the email for my domain goes. You point those at MailRoute instead of your server. So all of the stuff that's coming in that's inbound from spammers, inbound from people who are trying to spread viruses, and also bounced email, a lot of times spammers will harvest your email address and use it as the from address on their spam, and you get suddenly you're like, why am I getting all this bounced email that I didn't send and it all looks like spam? Well, all that stuff goes to MailRoute instead of your server. Your server isn't burdened by it. MailRoute has intelligent software that looks at it, analyzes it. It gets all the spam, right, from all the different people. So it knows what spam looks like. It pulls it all out. And then it, it basically just turns around and and passes that mail on. I'm gesturing with my hands and Mike is laughing. Um, it turns that around and passes that mail on to your mail server. So your mail server never sees the junk. They just get the good stuff. It's good for your server because your server doesn't have to see the bad stuff and it's good for you because that junk is not in your inbox it's easy to set up large universities and corporations trust it Uh, as a desktop user the interface is super simple I get a little spam digest tells me what spam I've received and has been filtered out with one click, I can automatically deliver it if it is good. That rarely happens, but it does happen sometimes. And it will automatically whitelist that person. So their mail will always get through after that point. So it's super easy. And if you're an email administrator or an IT professional, they've got all the tools for you in mind. Let's say it, say it with me. There is an API for account management, support for LDAP and Active Relay. They have TLS, Outbound Relay, and mailbagging. Mailbagging. <laughs> the best. High five for mailbagging. <laughs> Woo! Um, it, 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 this is the stuff you want if you're, a, if you're an admin from the people who handle your mail. So you can remove spam for, from your life for good by going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. That will get you a free trial. And if you decide to keep MailRoute, you'll get 10% off of your bill for the lifetime of your account just by being one of our pals and going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. So thank you once again to MailRoute for keeping my inbox clear of spam and for being a good friend and sponsor and supporter of what we do here at Upgrade. And introducing me to mailbagging. Yes. Which I love, I love dearly. I'm thinking maybe we should, maybe the Upgrade t-shirt should just say mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. interesting. I want. I wonder if yeah, if MailRoute would sponsor the upgrade T-shirt, and we could just we could practically give them away. At that Brought point. to you by. <laughs> right. So let's do some. Let's do some ask upgrades. So All we right. have. Uh, 
at the three story so far on Twitter. Uh, I keep hearing podcasters say definitively that no adapters come with a MacBook. Is that confirmed for sure? Jason, please break some hearts. Yes, the uh, if you look on their on the MacBook page, it, it's actually in there. Um, they say what's in the box, yep. and it's the power block that goes to the wall, a USB C cable, and a MacBook. That's it. Yeah, no adapters. You have to buy them yourselves, and unfortunately, they will set you back a pretty penny. Yeah, it does mean that the. Um, the cable is attached to the the little block. It, that's a USB C cable, so it's detachable on either end, which is different from how they work now. And that means, yeah. So so right now, when you buy a, a MacBook power cable, you've got the block, and the block runs to your MagSafe, and, and it's just it's and just it's part it, of it. It's part of it. And this, they're connected on both ends, like with your iPad. It's got a plug oh, on both ends, yeah. so you could I didn't know that. so you could pull it off and plug that into a battery. Or plug that into a USB charger, which would probably not really charge it because it wouldn't have enough if, if it was a USB-C connector. So it's, it's a little more versatile that way. See, the thing that I find interesting in that way is eventually all of our wall adapters will be USB-C. Right. right. In theory. Like even the iPhone ones, in theory, it would be USB-C to lightning. Right. So you could just have those plugged in your house mm-hmm. and just put the cable in that you need. Yes. That makes it very different. Right. And also, if it detaches... That could be uh, like I don't that we I I don't know maybe you know how firm that connection is I don't know because that could be the the max that could problem. be another 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 place where you could have it break away but like if is it just comes box? out of the wall it might come out relatively easily yeah, I have I to know. say that the idea of the MagSafe on the power brick is a, seems like a disaster to me yeah because I would knock that out all the time and yeah then you have to get under the desk I wouldn't want that right. But we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm still we'll interested see. to see what happens with the MagSafe stuff. But I didn't have, know that was a cable that went into the... We're going, we're going into a weird place with the, with this, but we will come out the other side eventually. But it, it's going to be weird. I mean, that, another one of the questions that we had was about... Um, it was somebody we actually asked last week. He was asking about OS, iOS devices, including a standard USB cable. He, was, he said, I was thinking about charging more than syncing because we said, well, do you, why do you even sync anymore? And this, I think this is a really weird thing that right now, if you buy a MacBook and you want to charge from a device, you'll need to buy an adapter. And what, what I would say is, Apple's argument would be, don't charge from a device. Charge from the wall. Charge from the wall. Just charge from the wall. I know people do charge their iPhones from their Macs, and that's fine, but I think what Apple's saying is, look, if you're somewhere where your Mac is plugged in, you know your, your uh, phone can be plugged in. I do get the fact that if your Mac has a battery and your phone is about to die, you can actually steal power from your yep. Mac's battery. At that point, that seems like an edge case. And at that point, uh, you pack an adapter. You know what I think it would say is the battery will last you all day on both devices. Like that's, you know. That would be nice. That's the, that's the, that's the their, idea. Their, their message is, well, you don't need to do it right. because that lasts for 10 hours and that lasts for 10 right. hours, and, so you're, you're done. Right, and they feel the primary use case for charging is charging from the wall, yeah. not not plugging it into a device to charge. I, but I, I agree. If Apple has this mixed, yeah. this mixed set of USB-C and not USB-C, at some point they're going to need to put a USB-C to lightning cable in the box of the iPhone, at which point everybody who doesn't have a USB-C Mac is going to freak out, or they're going to have to offer some sort of swap program where you can come in and trade it in for one. But it's going to be for 25 bucks a piece. But it's going to be a mess. Yeah. It's going to be a mess for a little while because they can't switch without... I think they will be late to switch because every existing computer is going to suddenly not connect to it. Um, 
but maybe you know maybe it doesn't matter if they say look get an adapter or just plug it into the wall and don't worry about attacking attaching it to a computer when the ipod went from firewire to usb can you remember if you got both cables in the box uh po i mean probably because they used to include a lot in the they box. did they did they used the first ipod the, had the a remote, case the, the little remote that yeah you'd get you oh, could I, clip love, on. I love the clip on remote great. that was my they used, favorite used to get a dock yeah, as well. a dock, a case. To get loads of stuff in yeah, the boxes. That got, that got all thrown out. Uh, over time, it got <laughs> just smaller and smaller. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I, I have a, an old Mac Mini that has a VGA adapter. It came in the box. Yeah. You won't get that anymore. Okay, let's move on. Um, this comes from J.S. Carlton. There's something about the space black Apple Watch. It's like, how much more black could this be? And the answer is, none more black. By the way, this is a reference to the film This is Spinal Tap. Which will be the next. The next Mike watches a movie. It's on this laptop. I will nice. watch it. I think it's I think in a couple of weeks' time, because next week I'm away. So yes. we have a special guest we, next week. We do have a, we have a special guest uh, host joining me on next week's show. I know it's going to be a good one. So my plea to all the listeners is... Please allow me to come back the week after. <laughs> I, don't I, think, I don't think our special guest is available to co-host with me every week anyway. I, but it will still upset people. Jacob yeah. Holt wants... Because we were talking about iPods last week, right? And we, right. we were laughing about the iPod lineup. And Jacob was asked, do, you, do we think that iPods will ever be updated again? I don't think so. I think that they are a... It's a legacy product now that sits at a very, very yeah. low part of the line. I, I think the existing Nano and Shuffle can continue for a long time as what they are, but it's hard to imagine, uh, other than if for component reasons they need to upgrade the storage or something like that, but it's hard to imagine them ever being updated beyond that. And Apple knows how many they make and how much it's worth keeping them on the product list, and they'll keep them on the product list as long as it's profitable for them to do so. But I can, you know, that doesn't cost them anything. Rethinking a product costs them. Um, and I just don't think they're ever going to do it. I, no. I, I'm not even sure. I don't. I'm I'm skeptical that the iPod Touch will ever be updated again. I don't think it will be. Let alone um, the other iPods, because the iPod Touch. We said we said this before. You know, if you want a, a low cost um, iOS small iOS device, there's the Mac Mini. iPad I mean, the iPad Mini One, the original iPad Mini, which is still a, a, an iPad Two essentially. It's better than the iPod Touch in every way. I mean, unless you want a small device, then of course it's not. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I can I, see again, and I can see people's argument like, but, 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 I use it for this, and I, I totally get that. But from Apple's perspective, it's, it's like it's not worth their time. It's like, okay, you might use it for that. We'll buy it then. Like, it's not going to be powerful, but it's there. Yeah, and that's probably why they keep it there. Right. And like, you know, the shuffle is there because people like to just clip it to themselves and go running. Right. Like so, it exists, but they're not. I cannot see any more resources going into that line unless there is some breakthrough, some you know, some kind. That we, yeah. you know, that it makes I don't sense even know what that is. To do no, because we're 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 living in a world where you've got you've got wireless headphones and you've got you know everybody wants to have their smartphone with them, and it, it's harder and harder. And now you could have your watch with music on it. Yep. So um, I don't think so, and not not because there aren't people who have uses for them, but because Apple doesn't want to spend the time to uh, update them versus do new products. On that note, at BakeryMe on Twitter um, has asked, if the watch leads to leaving like your iPhone in the bag, um, wireless headphones will become more important. Do you think that Apple are going to do their own set of wireless headphones? Well, I would have expected them to have announced it already. Well, Apple has Beats, and Beats makes headphones. So I think we're going to see those things come closer together. And I, I think... 
maybe not now, but in the fall, certainly, when they're ramping up for the holiday season, I would be shocked if Apple's product announcements don't include how Beats headphones can be used with Apple's products. Because they mentioned them, like with the with the MacBook, they were like, and you use Bluetooth to listen with your Beats headphones. Beats headphones. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think... Was it Schiller or was it Eddie Q? They make a joke about it. Yeah, I but remember. But it was serious, and they had yeah. a product shot. Of Beats headphones. Gold MacBooks and a young girl wearing gold Beats headphones. Yeah. That is the, the link. But I really expected a, when the watch came out, here are some sport headphones. Yeah, I think they're not quite there yet. Yeah, but I think that's coming. I, I think that that is just a case of they probably wanted to have it, but it's not ready. Right, right. But I, I think... I think at this point, it's less likely that it will be Apple's matched headphones. Apple's headphone brand now is Beats. It may be that the EarPods, the next version, is a set of small Beats headphones. Yeah, it, it's entirely possible. Yeah, but they'll, 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 brand, they'll brand them and say, you know, now we include the, the this is a, you get a, you get the Beats EarPods. Hey, maybe that's where the iPod goes. Huh? They give the Beats brand to all music products. Yeah. Who knows? Because well, they want the service anyway. So, listen to Christian. Would you say that the MacBook uh, Pro 13-inch non-retina is worthy of the Pro moniker these days? What is the purpose in the lineup? Well, the purpose is education, I guess, right? Yeah, and it's the having it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even sure it is. It is so much education since you've also got the MacBook Air, but it's it's they already have it. It's like what we said about these uh, iPods. It already exists. It's cheaper. And they um, they can make it they can make it very cheaply, and there is obviously some demand for it in education or business or something where they yeah, keep it, has it around. An optical drive, and it has the optical drive. So if everybody wants uh, a laptop with an optical drive, they can say, "All right, we can sell that to you." And you see this. I mean, this is why the iPod, iPad two stuck around for a while is because they were selling it to education, and they needed to keep making it, and it, it will. This is part of Apple's strategy today is these ghost products that just fade away very slowly. And so why does Apple sell the iPad mini 3, 2, and 1? <laughs> I mean, that's weird. And the, the old iPhones that are still in the line. And this is one of those. This is a ghost product. And, you know, in three or four years, the um, the MacBook Air, there'll probably still be a 13-inch MacBook Air in the product line. And we'll all say the same thing, which is, why is it still there? And the answer is, well, they can sell that for $7.99. And it's non-retina and all these things, but it's cheap. And it's old, but it's fine. That This is part of Apple's strategy now. And this is one of the ways that they take advantage of their manufacturing is they these products as they age they get really low margins and they have particular sales channels that want them and so why not keep making yep. them and it's no no more effort for them at that point if and what happens then is that something breaks like if they run out of a part or um, you know something else complicates things and, th- and then they have to make that moment of like well do we update this or do we kill it and mm-hmm. in most cases I think they just kill it at that point so they were talking about an ATP a couple of weeks ago about like you know the the, the thought. Like they're saying we believed that jobs would in the jobs area they'd have got rid of these. But the thing is, it's like those those products, when they get to that point, the margins are so huge. Yeah. Because you've been making them for so long. The, parts, the process is down. All of the stuff it's is all done. Is cheap to make, all the parts are cheap. So yeah. from a business standpoint, just it sits there, it doesn't hurt anyone. Right. It's just in the lineup. Right. Sometimes it makes the product lineup more confusing. It maybe makes things more difficult for developers because they're still supporting the iPad 2. Right. I have a but, brand new iPad 2. Yeah. Ugh. Right. But <laughs> from a business standpoint, 
that's that's probably that helps that seventy five billion dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. And if you're Apple, um, you are more comfortable keeping an old product around than creating a new product that is just cheap, cheap, cheap. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can't really create a new product. The five C is the only example. The iPhone five C, where they wrapped an old product in a new in a new case and claimed that it was a new product. Yeah. Um, and the 5C did fine, but it didn't set the world on fire. And this, I think, I think it reinforced their standard strategy, which is, you know, just let old tech float around and just keep cutting the price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may be yesterday's model, but it's still yesterday's premium model and not yesterday's crap or today's crappy model. And so I think it's better for Apple to do it this way. Cloud Gabo on Twitter, uh, you is saying about how Spotify could actually be the company to help bring podcasts to the masses. Sure. Sure. Um, but it depends on their agreement. I, I, well, yeah, <laughs> I have the same trepidation, and I know you do, that, that any big player who comes and says, uh, we want to revolutionize podcasting, you worry that, they, that they're, going to, they're trying to be the, the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. and then they're going to want to put their own ads in or take the ads out or pay us a penny instead of having our ads in there and we're not going to be able to say no and then they control podcasting. So that's the fear of all of these. But um, I would love for Spotify to bring their intelligence about music to podcasts. I think I think there's and, – and that, that's what a bunch of other companies are trying to do too. I, I would love to get there. Um, I do think there's an opportunity to do that. The problem is that podcasts like this one run for an hour or an hour and a half and not for 10 minutes. And so the fun of having Spotify and being able to have it pick music for you or Pandora or whatever is uh, more difficult when you've got – when you're shuffling through things that are an hour and a half long, you're really only listening to one anyway. <laughs> So it's not as good, um, you know. I, I've I've mused before about what would be interesting is setting up a podcast network where all of your shows were um, were like ten minutes long, and then offering them as like in a just chopped up and and remixed, and you can pick your favorites. And I think I think that would be an interesting attempt. I'm not sure where it, where it, it might end up just sounding like radio. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure people would like it. It'd just be segments. But it would be really interesting if you tried something like that to chop things up and have. You know, a 10-minute segment every day instead of an hour a week would uh, – and chopped in with other things and all mixed up. Would would that be good or would that just be radio? And, um, you know, I, I think it goes against the appeal of podcasting, but it does feed the appeal of uh, people wanting to discover new voices and program, you know, their own entertainment. Uh, you know, it, would, it wouldn't be podcasting. It would be something else. But I, I – you know, I'd be waiting for somebody to try something like that. I think it could be interesting. It would just be – very different from what we do. A couple of last quick questions uh, from Angus. Do you think the watch uh, with the sports band would be suitable for running or would it be too heavy and attract sweat? Yeah, I don't think the... Well, I, I don't think, think it'd be heavy. I don't think it'll be heavy. It, it, it's heavier than the other one, but I don't think it would It would be heavy. It's You're going to feel weight because it's a watch. Right. But it's not much heavier. Watches are made to just... You just get used to them. Right. And uh, not gonna, You're not going to fall over. <laughs> and as for, for sweat, I mean, the metal's not going to attack, attract sweat. The band, um, I had this conversation on the train yesterday. Um, I really like a leather band and, you know, because you're, you, you do sweat. And I like a leather band, although it can damage the band over time, that's true. Um, 
but I like it because it absorbs and then it will release the moisture. I hate the sports bands, the plastic bands, because they are they are impervious to the moisture, and that means your arm just gets wetter and wetter, and I hate it. But that's a personal preference thing. Um, I I'm, I think sports band on a on a suffixless adjectiveless watch is probably fine. I don't think uh, you know. I think it's fine. You're gonna get the you're gonna get the the sapphire instead of the ionics class so it's going to be more scratch resistant but less shatter resistant yeah. <laughs> um but i don't know i don't think I, I i don't think it's a no for that i think you could you could totally do that last question today from at always breaking is the guinness in ireland better than the guinness in the u.s I would love it. It would be very hard to do. I would love somebody to actually prove or disprove this because people say, even in the UK, they say it's better in Ireland than it is in the UK. Um, I I like stout. We talked we we talked about that on our our wine and cheese and beer vertical last week. Um, I uh, we had dinner and, and uh, in Dublin, and I went to the, at the porterhouse, so it was a local microbrew of a porter and an oyster stout. I had both. And then we went to a, a, a steamy, crowded Irish pub after, which was really fun. And I had Guinness there. And what it reminded me is, I find, I've, I think Guinness is not objectionable. Um, I think it's, um, it feels like it tastes better in Ireland, but honestly, um, you're in Ireland. So There's I think- chance I think, it's, fr- well, it's going to be fresher. It is going to be fresher. So that might add to Although it. I'm skeptical of how- freshness is how much of that is marketing versus reality in i think terms of when beer. you're in the environment but it tastes but better. i mean having a pint poured properly by somebody who's been trained in how you how you pour guinness um it's going to it's all part of the experience yeah. is if you isolated it and you were in a white room somewhere um and Maybe you were just doing a taste test i'm not sure it would taste any different but then you're you're in this steamy pub with irish people all around you and it's it's one in the morning and you're you know and and you've got a guinness and you're sitting at a kind of a battered wooden bar on a on a stool talking to a couple of friends um of course it tastes better yeah. that said and I, again, I'm going to get drummed out of Ireland for saying this. Guinness is fine. It is a mass-produced stout. Having those uh, microbrews at the porterhouse, those were so good. So, like, I feel like there are better there are better stouts available even in Ireland than Guinness. But Guinness is fine. It, it reminds me of drinking milk. It's like slightly alcoholic milk. It's just smooth and nice. And you're in Ireland, and you know, it's so it's good. And and uh, it is better in Ireland. Always breaking. Uh, it's just I'm unclear whether the taste is not being affected by all the other atmosphere that goes with it. It's and nicer they, to enjoy in Ireland. Yeah, basically. and they do train the, the 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 barman to pour it properly. They they let the bubbles go out of it. They they give it a weight. They they sit there and they they pour out a bunch of them as the orders are coming in, and then they go back and they do a second pour to get the head right on the top. Um, and in other places, people there are a lot of bartenders who have no idea how to do stout. So, um, what I found really interesting in that pub that we were in is it didn't take us long to have the Guinness because he had just had glasses on the go. Yeah, he, so he, he just had them the Guinness up. assembly line. Yeah, yeah it, they were just ready and just settling. Because usually you go to a bar, they do, and even if they do it, they let it settle for a bit and they finish it off. Yeah. But it's still not the right time, I assume. But yeah, because right. there was the whole the whole time that we were at the bar, there was always like four or five glasses like three quarters full yeah just just getting just, just letting the bubbles come out and then they would add that add yep. it on top and, and hand it out and there's a proper amount and everything and so that's part of it i think yeah. is they know they know how to pour guinness in ireland so that's part of the, the charm too so that's about it for this yeah. week's episode um 
Interesting. It's been a pleasure doing podcasts right uh, across the way from you. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll do this uh, maybe at WWDC. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss. Not only will I miss the show next week, I'll miss not doing it in person. It's, yeah, it's nice. I like it, and I hope that it's enjoyable to listen to. I think it does bring a difference in the in the show that I hope people right. have enjoyed for these so, couple of weeks. So, if you've hated these last couple of weeks, rest assured we'll be back next week. We'll have a guest, and then we'll be back to the the long distance Skype conversations of Jason and Mike. Yeah, but then I'm away again for one more week. I know, I? and then and then we've got uh, we've got another special guest hosting with me that week in a too. Couple of weeks. But yeah, exciting stuff over the next couple of weeks. Lots of lots of interesting things happening an upgrade. I think you'll enjoy. Um, if you want to find our show notes for this week, you can go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 29. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Linda, Bushel, and MailRoute. If you want to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Mr. Jason Snell is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter, and he is the editor-in-chief of sixcolors.com, and I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter, and this show is part of the glorious Relay FM, and you can find... All of our shows over at Relay.fm. Until next week, well, for you, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hello, mate. This is a podcast. (laughs) This is a podcast. (laughs) I think Stephen pointed this out to us where it's like, Winter is coming. Ah, okay.